All right, so back in our study of uh, 1 Timothy, our guide to spiritual maturity, I, I, I need to do this from time to time and touch... Uh, touch kind of on the fact that the the approach that we're looking at in First Timothy is one from the believer's perspective, right? This is not an overly evangelistic book. It is a pastoral or shepherding epistle. It is obviously scripture uh, will always point to the gospel, but we're really focusing on a guide to spiritual maturity so that we can be the believers that we need to believe to be in the Lord. We can execute on that. And today we will get another whole verse done. If you turn to First Timothy uh, chapter four, and we will get uh, verse twelve accomplished today, Lord willing. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou the believer, or be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to work in uh, in youth ministry. Matter of fact, I'm not, I guess, terribly proud of it, but Shane, and, uh, Shane was one of uh, the, and I say I'm not terribly proud of it just because of the age perspective. I'm very proud that Shane was in our youth ministry back in the day, but uh, when we were, uh, Michelle and I were high school counselors over at the K- KCBT prior to it changing its name to Gra- uh, Graceway, and uh, and had the opportunity, actually Dan Renault, uh, Mike Renault, uh, were several of our of our uh, of the folks that we ministered to, and um, so it, it really was an honor to to serve. And this is this is the kind of verse that you would you would teach a you know at a, at a retreat uh, that you do as a devotion you know for high school high school kids you know let no man despise thy youth right that's a that's a it's a perfect verse for high school and youth ministry and I'm not taking anything away from it because I've used it would would do would use it again in a heartbeat it is exactly what some young people need to hear but looking out and considering this audience y'all ain't spring chickens I, I don't know how to say it like you are not youths or as um as uh, Joe Pesci would say, Utes. You guys are not Utes. Uh, if anybody remembers my cousin Vinny, okay. Um, you are not Utes. You're not. You're not young anymore. So, so how am I gonna get a lesson out of? Well, I guess, I guess the Sanders kids, they're youths. They are youths. They can get. Let no man despise thy youth, kids. Um, you know, and that, and it's a legit principle. I really, I'm not taking anything away from it. But we need to apply it for us to grow today. And the reality is Timothy was not a child or even a youth. He was leading a church at this point. He was pastoring. He was shepherding. He's given other commands in this chapter, let alone in this book, multiple times regarding his authority, regarding how to teach, how to preach, what to do, how to hold people accountable. He's not a kid. So so we need to break this down really from the perspective of the adult. And so the first question is, is youth to be despised? Is youth to be despised? And of course the answer is no. Uh, you shouldn't despise anyone, really. But 
but Paul is creating a principle, let no man despise thy youth, because there's a general expectation associated with youth. There's a general expectation associated with someone who's younger, right? Well, they've not been around the block. They don't know what they're doing, right? They don't have the experience. So there is this concept of youth being viewed through a lens that that maybe they don't have the answers, right? They probably, you know, Timothy, people are going to think you don't have the answers because of your age. So what I did is we're going to go fairly quickly through these principles, but youth is often disdained. Look at this in 1 Samuel 17, specifically talking about David. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. He, you know, he had, he had hands like mine, like soft from working on a keyboard every day. Not like a manly man's hands from building and constructing. I, I get, I get a little bit of a, a little bit of a complex sometimes when there's certain men and I shake their hands and they, there's a guy I've known for a long time and he used to say, "Put your hand in the crusher," because he was like an iron worker and it was, it was like. <laughs> a little tear would come to my eye, yeah. but I'm still a man. Um, and Philistine, what? Yeah, no, it's an affirmation. It was an af- it was an internal affirmation. Yeah, it was an internal affirmation. But Philist- this Philistine, right? G- Goliath looks at David, and he's like, he- he's a pretty boy. Yeah, like he's not he's not he's not done the work. He's not like me. He's not got calluses on his hand, right? So he disdained him because of his youth. In Psalm 25, the youth is kind of seen as sinful. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, right? David is praying. Because often we make stupid mistakes, you know, as a kid, right? Sinful mistakes. I mean, Sam even touched on it today when he was talking about Sexual purity and those types of things. People make mistakes. Generally, youth creates an, uh, an excitement and a zeal about any number of things, and that can lead to sin. Uh, reproachable. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, in verse 9, I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Right? I mean, my youth, there's things I wish... I could do different. There's one thing. Uh, I had had a wonderful relationship with my mother who passed last year. Have a great relationship with my dad. I pretty much always have with my parents. But there's one thing I wish I could go back and do different. It was a time I specifically lied to my mom. And I, I, I don't have I told this story in here? I don't think I have. I lied and hung out and I went to the zoo. Oh. I know. And we weren't drinking or anything. But I know, it's crazy, isn't it? But I still lied. Like, I, I might have even skipped school. I don't remember. It's hot. I don't know if oh, I skipped oh, school or not. I know, I know. It, it's, it's the reproachable. Y'all are getting a little mouthy, by the way. Just so y'all know. So I think I've created that environment. Now I have to, have to live in it. Um, but I did bear the reproach of my. I still think about the disappointment on my mom's face when she came to the realization I'd lied to her. I still think about it. 
and I don't, you know, again, have a wonderful relationship. When she passed, it wasn't like she was like, remember that time you liked me? You know, and not that it wasn't anything like that, but, but I still bear the reproach of my youth. That's right. Right? Uh, the simple. Uh, you know, there's sometimes they're just like one track minds on different things. And I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Right? I mean, we don't have to look very far. Sometimes it's the hallway. Sometimes it's at the dining table. Sometimes it's by the chair and or by the by the counter. The the shoes that have multiplied at our house. I, they're getting bigger because the kids are getting bigger. And it's like, where did those shoes come from? We have a place for shoes. Simple one, put them away. That's where they go. What? Well, the shoes go over here, not there and there and there and there. Right? I mean, it's like, well, I don't, I don't get it. And I know I'm, I may be embellishing a little bit the story, but not far. You all know if you have kids, especially like, like they don't. They don't track sometimes on those things for some unknown reason. <clears throat> I, I push the button and it don't didn't. That falls into adulthood sometimes too. Yeah. <laughs> so I am. I don't know if I'm jammed up here or if it's going to advance 15 times or what. Oh, did it go? Okay. I don't know what happened there. Okay, so vain. Often youth is vanity. Look at look at Ecclesiastes 11, verse 10. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. That's right. Right? I mean, they just are, right? They require a guide in Jeremiah 3, 4. Wilt thou not um, from this time cry unto me, my father? Thou art a guide of my youth, right? They need a guide. They need someone to show them. Lamentations 3.27, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Youth can be difficult. And I understand, like, you know, it's never been as hard to be a teenager as it is now. I don't know that I agree with that. Like, the Middle Ages seem kind of hard to me, you know, when I read books. Right. Right. They feel different. I think every generation... At the risk of sounding like a, a, a Mike and the Mechanics, blames the one before of the of the things that we deal with as if this is the worst situation. I, I'm not sure I deal. I, I I I agree with that. Everybody had a difficult time in their youth. Yeah. When was the Middle Ages? Well, I'm not like 1400s or whatever. Yeah, right. I wasn't there. I'm not. I'm not implying I'm that old. I'm just older than youth. Um, some of y'all might have been. I, I am. I am. Uh, there's a couple of you that I want to ask what Abraham Lincoln was like when you met him. But, but Willie. Um, <laughs> But Lamentations, it is a good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Literally, look at the illustration. You need to be broken. Youth is the time that you take, you go from strength to wisdom. You go from strength to wisdom. And they're only strong. Isaiah 40 and verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall literally like it's an illustrative that even then that 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 they're going to be weak even after everything else even the youths will will falter at that point 
accountable, un- unaccountable. Uh, continuing in Ecclesiastes in verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou for all <clears throat> that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. It may seem unaccountable, but you are going to give an account for those things. Like God is holy, youth is not. It's sinful. We've already addressed that. They will be held accountable. They don't necessarily perceive it. They think they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, but they're not. They will have to pay an account, uh, an account for, an account will have to be paid, rather, for their sins. Lustful, 2 Timothy 2.22, uh, flee also useful lusts. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace uh, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With, with youth comes the zeal and lust. And that isn't always sexual. Obviously, it does have that connotation and that component. But, but it, sometimes it's like they get fixated. A youth will get fixated. I was pretty fixated on a 67 Mustang, to be honest. I actually still have it because I'm not sure I've totally gotten over it. And... <laughs> Just like lust after a vehicle. Just, it, it's crazy how, how youth will do that. Acts 5 6, uh, violent, and the young men arose, uh, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. Like, like the young men will do this, right? They can be violent in their, in their tendencies. And, and uh, in Titus 2 uh, 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober minded because they are not otherwise sober minded. So that brings us to our to our kind of our first big point since that was some background. Paul is again breaking barriers with this statement to Timothy. Yes, it applies to kids and we can preach it at a wonderful you know church camp for our teenagers. But again, he is breaking it. We already saw in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11, let the women learn in silence with all subjection because otherwise they weren't learning. They weren't allowed in the church. They weren't allowed, at least in the synagogues. And literally, Paul is bringing a message that women can be involved and should be taught. That was earth shattering at the time because women were now being seen as equal as men in many aspects of ministry. And then look also when we haven't really touched on it in in 1 Timothy specifically but Christianity made servants and masters brothers. That was unthinkable as well. Colossians 4 and verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Ephesians 6, 8 9. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether it be he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening. Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respecter of persons with him. Through God's eyes, y'all are the same. Philemon, verse 16, now ex- uh, not now as a servant, but above a servant, receive, uh, receive Onesimus, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Literally, this guy that was a servant, arguably a slave, that left and stole from him, Paul is asking Philemon to restore him to a relationship of brotherhood. So so Christianity, through, through the Apostle Paul's writing, is breaking down gender walls, not identity issues, but he's breaking down equality 
or giving, breaking down um, um, uh, separation and giving equality. He's doing that between the the servant and master relationship, and he's also doing it in racial or ethnic divides. Right? Maybe we don't see the exact same racial divides uh, in Scripture that we see in the United States today, but they, but there were Romans twelve, uh, or I'm sorry, ten verse twelve. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Yeah. I mean, Paul is addressing it head on. I don't care what amount of melatonin you have in your skin or the general features of your face or your, your, your body shape or your structure or your lineage or your genetic makeup. You are a child of God. Amen. So he's just, again, stepping right up to it and saying, Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. Well, there's, there's a little bit more I think we've got to look at or at least consider here because... You, so, so if it was an equation, back then the Jewish mindset was youth plus age, or arguably experience, equals leadership. So you start with someone that's young, and you run them through the ringers of studying scripture, study, right, memorizing uh, scripture, sitting at the feet of the teachers, and through experience, someday they will be a leader. That's how it was. Like, you couldn't be a leader if you were young. You had to pay the dues. But literally, Paul is breaking down this barrier because in Christ, that's not how it works. In this ministry here, it's not that, well, how long have you been here? How many times have you tithed? How much? No, that's not how it works. If the Lord is working through you, you have an opportunity to minister. Boom. End of discussion. And, And literally, Paul could look at Timothy, who had been on missionary trips with him, who had, in fact, paid his, quote, dues, but that was not the issue. It was the fact that Timothy in Christ was a servant in Christ. And that really brings us to our first, our first discipleship decision of the day, I think. I, I don't know if it did it advance. No, it went backward, didn't it? I did. I did. I'm just... Will you stop looking on the outward appearance and making decisions based upon prejudice? And the prejudice can even be what you see. Right? It can be... If Timothy were to walk in here today at this age, we might say, I mean, Jeff Grasher's kind of young. Should, we, should he really be a pastor? Well, but Jeff Grasher has the Lord's anointing on him, the validation from the other pastors at this church at the time that they felt very compelled and very comfortable ordaining him. It has nothing to do with his age. It has. I would argue that the equation goes from youth plus experience to youth plus surrender. Right? That's what creates a leadership example. Timothy was surrendered. So stop looking on the outward experience. Start, stop looking at somebody as, well, they don't look like they fit the part. Well, who cares if they look like they fit the part? Do they fit the part? Yes, sir. So stop making decisions based on prejudice. And again, this is, this is really not about race. It's not about gender. It's, it's really just about age. It's about the fact that Timothy 
was a younger guy and was going to have to minister to older people. And that can be intimidating. I remember, you know, you know, sitting down with 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 parents of kids that were in our high school uh, ministry who challenged the direction of the way we were doing things, or or even other uh, other people in the in the church that would that would push back against the way we were ministering. And I was like, wait a second, like you're not in this ministry. It's real easy for you to have that perspective, but just because you're not in, that was based on a prejudice, based on a, a judgment they made by honestly looking at the outward appearance. So be real careful about that. The minister, the one who's growing in their spiritual maturity, will stop looking on these things and will start trying to discern with a spiritual eye. It's, it's, it, it honestly, it takes the stress off. It takes the stress off discernment. When you turn it over to the Lord and say, Lord, I, you know, they don't seem ready to me. Like they don't seem ready for, for this or ready for that. Well, but are they, is, but are they listening to the Lord? When, when I, so some of you have heard the story and, and certainly those who were in live serial, when we made the transition and started talking about the transition from Mike uh, Renault to, to me, um, we talked about the fact that I had a Bible study. It was kind of this full circle moment. I had a Bible study that I kind of took over from, uh, from a young man when I was in high school, and I had run it for a couple of years. Uh, and, and, and look, the reality is you can still study the Bible at school. And we even had a, uh, and this was uh, obviously a few years ago, but we, you know, we had a, a, a sponsor, a teacher sponsor who was a believer. And, and we were able to, to still have this very tangible spiritual um, event at school. And I was a senior and Mike was a freshman. And Mike, you know, obviously, uh, Mike and I had a, a good year of overlap in ministry, in the high school ministry together. And I was talking with our with our pastor, our youth pastor, about whether, quite simply, Mike should take over the Bible study. And the youth pastor said, in a in a moment, kind of a challenging me, is Mike ready to take over the Bible study? And I'm like, nobody's ever ready, <laughs> you know. I mean, if they're ready, that means they should have probably passed it on to somebody else. Like, you got to grow through it. And I wasn't trying to be some, like, you know, even, um, you know, as a, as a senior in high school, some, you know, he told me many years later how profound that was to him as a pastor that one of his youth, you know, basically challenged him to a spiritual concept that nobody's really ready. If they're ready, that means they've grown past it, you know, and Mike wasn't ready. I would say that lovingly if he was standing here, wasn't ready. But guess what? The Lord anointed him and he became ready and he grew through it. And he, he evangelized and discipled people in the process. That's how it works. So don't judge based on these outward appearance or prejudices. Judge on how the Holy Spirit is working. So back in our verse, let no man despise thy youth because the tendency is going to be for people to put you in a, uh, to put you in a corner, to put you in a box and say, you can't do that. You're not qualified. You're not ready. But the way you overcome that, the way you earn respect in ministry, the way you earn respect from the mature, the more mature believer 
is the rest ha- the the rest of the verse. Be thou an example of believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. So literally, the older believers start looking at you thinking, I wish I was like that. I wish I acted like that. Because the Holy Spirit will do a wonderful work in their life, in the older believer's life, about what they're missing. And that I, I encourage you to seek the Lord when you, especially, I mean, we have this kind of tendency here to, to not, not here, but just at, at Midtown even, to, to kind of look to the youthful exuberance of Kaya and kind of minimize it somehow. Well, of course there, it's growing because look at all the energy. Well, it's not just energy, it's the Holy Spirit moving. Like, and there's people ministering and evangelizing and discipling and like, that's why it's a thing. Energy is what happens when the lights come down and the fog machines come up at certain churches and it's like a rock show. Yes. That's energy. And that's not what's going on down, down, the, down the block here. What's going on down the block, if, if there is an energy, it's spiritual energy, um, not just energy. So be the, the example of the believer in word and conversation and, and charity and spirit and faith. And impurity. So you have a, a graphic, a couple of graphics. Um, I wanted to try to pictorially represent it a couple of different ways. The believer should have all these things on, you know, that that people should see before they see the believer. Another way to do it is if it was a six-sided box. If you were the box of a believer, right? You might have conversation, charity, word, and faith and spirit and purity would be on the other sides. I didn't necessarily feel the need to to do the whole thing. You get the point, right? That when somebody is looking at the person, they should see the outward manifestation. And sometimes they only see the charity because their perspective is over here and they're looking this way and that's all they see. And that's okay because that's their perspective. Sometimes they're looking kind of the perspective that you all are at the screen and you can see their conversation, their charity, and their word. But you don't generally see all aspects of one person at the same time. That's actually why I liked the illustration because it's really hard to understand the full person. And that's why this challenge from Paul is such a great challenge. It's literally, hey, every aspect of your life, be the example of the believer. Like, make them, like, kill them with kindness and make them want to be like you, is, is, is the Mitch Dobson translation. So, in word, how you speak, in conversation, how you are, this is not a conversation but in your the the way of living so to speak Uh, in charity how you love in spirit how you commune in faith how you trust and in purity how you live and we'll look at each of those in the time we we have remaining so the first in word how you speak literally what comes out of your mouth or mouths matter Matthew 15, 11 says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth, this defileth a man. I can only imagine like people listening to Jesus being like, Well, I was, I was pretty sure if you ate something. But it was like literally he's trying to communicate your mouth is the conduit from your spirit. It's the conduit from your heart. That, it, it, you, you know, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And I'm... I'm 
I tell you, I have been working on this. We, uh, Jamie and, and Heather, know that our both of our son and, and one of our sons and, and their boy is, is playing baseball. And I, I don't know how else to put it, but the umpires stink. I, right? Yeah. I mean, the umpires just don't. They're not. I mean, every time that it's a strike on us, it should have been a ball. And every time it should have been a ball, like it was a strike, and every kid that was safe was out, and every out, uh, kid that was out was safe. They're just horrible. They they need glasses. They're not in the right position. They're they're just horrible. I, am I communicating this well enough? Yeah. These guys shouldn't actually be on the field. Now the reality is, I don't always have the right perspective. I might be a little biased. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it doesn't feel like they do it to both teams. It feels like it's only against our team. The point is, I have really had to be careful this year. I've really worked on that this year of of what I say, how I say it to the umpires. Not because I've I've literally never been thrown out of. A, I don't think I I can never remember. <laughs> Check me here. I've never been thrown out of a game. I've never had an umpire point their bony little finger at me and like this because they're so old and they can't see. I've never had an umpire like chastise me because my words were inappropriate. But for whatever reason this year, it's probably because the youngs are there. Uh, this year, I just I just the Lord has just really convicted me. Be very very. Be very careful with your words. Be very careful with your words. That which could come out of my mouth could defile my testimony. I, I hate to use the word when we say you lose your testimony because the reality is you always have a testimony. You don't lose it. It's just what is your testimony. <laughs> and so whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So we need to be careful because our words and what comes out of our mouths matter. Our, our speech ought to be consistent with other aspects of our life. So using, uh, building upon the same, same uh, situation, I was late for, for one of the games this week because I had to do some teaching here, some recording uh, uh, here, you know, here at Midtown for LFBI. And uh, so I was late to the game. And I had just I had told in an email the head coach that I was going to be late because I was I was doing a lecture that was being recorded, which is 100% accurate. And um, so he gets there, or so I get there, and he says, "Well, you know, what kind of professor are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm actually not. I'm a I'm a, a lay teacher at our church and a teaching elder, and I'm teaching in this Bible pro, you know Bible uh, institute that we have." And the good news is he didn't go really. <laughs> You know, I mean, he didn't like go, oh, you know, but it was like, oh, okay. Like that kind of made sense. Yeah, I mean, I like to think it kind of made sense, right? So our speech ought to be consistent with our lives. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. I didn't just say it, but also in power. It was validated in power by the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Look at this. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Like, the message was consistent with our ministry, was consistent with our lives. Not to say we're, you know, perfect or anything like that, but it's consistent. And avoiding unnecessary offense. And I did add the word unnecessary, and I think that might be your fill in the blank. Avoiding unnecessary offense. Because there are times when our words will offend. It's kind of the nature of the beast. I'm pretty sure I was joking with somebody uh, this week 
And I said, well, when I run for president, it was just a joke, right? I don't even remember what the concept was, I was you know, when I ran for president. And it was a, it was a, a young man out of Kaya. And he goes, well, you're not going to be elected president when they find out you go to this church. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> like, the, Sam's message today is hate speech in some people's perspective, right? I mean, the reality is I'm, I'm not going to be able to run for president after all. Like, at least I'm not going to, I'm not going to, not on a major party ticket. I mean, not, I mean, I, because our position, they'll be like, you sat under Sam Miles, and, and he believes there's only two genders and all this stuff. And marriage should just be between one man and a, one woman. And, like, you know, you're, you've associated yourself with that? Well, yeah, if, if that offends you, like, I'm sorry that you're offended by it, but I'm not going to change my position. So, for in many things, we offend all. <laughs> if any man um, offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and is also able to bridle the whole body. Notice what he's saying here is your words as compared to the word of God. We are going to offend when we stick with this. That's right. But we don't need to pile on or add unnecessary offense by, as Sam said, fishing with dynamite. Right. Right? That, is, that was a perfect illustration. Because some people believe, even when he said you need to love, if you see two homosexual men, you need to love on them, some people would define love as berating them. Yeah. But it's not. So if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. Like, I don't need to offend them just for the sake of offending them. If their lives don't line up with the word of God, they're going to be offended enough. You know, let the Holy Spirit work that out. So in conversation, how you are. So again, we don't have a lot of time to go into the word conversation today, but it it means kind of your manner of living, how you how you are. It's it should be consistent with the with the gospel. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It shouldn't be self-centered. Let your conversation be without covetousness. It shouldn't be the way you live. Shouldn't heap. Uh, shouldn't reflect that you're covet, covetous. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You have enough in, in Christ. It should be reflective of Christ. First Peter uh, 1.15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So he called us. He ha- he has a, Christ had a way of living. Christ had a way of ministering. Our conversation should reflect that. We should be honest, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, uh, by your good works, which they shall behold, they're seeing your conversation, glorify God in the day of visitation. When God does come upon them and they say, that's what it was. I, I don't know if I should say it quite this way, but I can't think of, there's nothing more that I glory in Christ in about what he's done in me maybe than this story. I was there was a there was a young man that I went to high school with. His name was David Starr. And David was an incredibly smart kid. I I wished I was as smart as David. David was naturally he was one of those guys that never studied for a test and aced him. He you know, he was also athletic, he was good looking. Uh, so he was like this quintessential high school kind of idol, 
you know, kind of person, right? People wanted to be like him. People wanted to be around him. And to be honest, he was kind of a jerk. Uh, he knew he, he had it going on, and he was kind of a jerk. And we had a mutual friend. David and I had a few classes together. We had a mutual friend, the guy that discipled me. And David and, and my disciple, our uh, future friend, they played soccer together. And, and uh, so I got saved. David knew me before I, before I was saved. And I got saved as a result of a car accident. And uh, um, so... I, in the Mustang, I actually st still have it, but that's another story for another day. So, I, um, sorry, this might be a little hard to get through. I didn't think it was going to be this hard. So, Chris, the guy that was discipling me, uh, and I hooked up after we graduated, and uh, we went and had dinner, you know, probably somewhere inconsequential, like a McDonald's or something, and he was driving me there. And he said, and I didn't know this, he said, uh, David was one year older and had gone off to college. And he said, you know, before David died, and I said, what? He said, yeah, did you not know David was in a car accident? And he died. And I said, no, what, what, when did that happen? And it was months earlier, you know, was, you know before social media, you know, it was just like, it was, it was, it was a weird sensation because I was grieving over the loss of this guy that was kind of a friend. He was his freshman year of, of college and that like. And, you know, it was just kind of weird. And he said, uh, David got saved. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. That is awesome. And he said, he got saved because he saw the change in your life. Like, wow. Like, I never even talked to David about Christ. Like, and I don't say that like I'm not proud of that or, or whatever. I'm just like, it just, we never... And David saw what I was before and after Christ, and that was appealing to him. And when they shall behold, they shall glorify God in the day of visitation. When when God impresses upon them, they'll behold God. They'll they'll glorify God. I mean, he wasn't saying Mitch was so cool. He was saying I saw what God did in Mitch's life, and I want that. I mean, praise the Lord. In charity, or I'm sorry, uh, chaste. 1 Peter 3, 2, while they behold your chaste conversation, your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Uh, so much, so much meat here in, in so little time. Uh, out your, your charity and how you love outwardly. First uh, John three eighteen. my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. It's interesting because in this case, that's why, that's actually where I got that kind of opposite sides of the box because it's sometimes it's not, Somebody doesn't need to see how you love in word. They need to see how you love in deed, right? Sometimes people need to see how you love in conversation or how you are. But in other times, people need to be loved on. So my children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth, right? Some people need to see the genuineness of the relationship. Your charity should edify. Obviously, charity edifieth, whereas knowledge puffeth up. An honest manifestation. Now, at the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. We've already looked at this earlier in our study of First Timothy. And of faith unfeigned. Okay? And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity, look at this, shall cover the multitude of sins. Charity is forgiving. It forgives. Right? So how you love, like, 
I had a situation, I can't really go into detail because of time and, and the sensitivity of the recording, but I had a, a, a situation that was very, very difficult and, and prayed, you know, as a matter of, of someone not forgiving me. And I didn't think that I had done anything wrong and I felt like I had owned whatever it was that I had done wrong, the, the relatively small missteps that I had made. And it wasn't until the Lord laid upon them that we could talk and the charity that I showed them covered the multitude of sins. Literally, they forgave me. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to be very real and very honest that charity can take care of those situations. When you choose to love despite the situation, charity can cover a multitude of sins. In spirit, how you commune. Is it an outpouring of your life? According to Job 26, verse 4, one of the great six questions that are asked of, that, that's asked of Job is, whose spirit came from thee? Like, who, when you, a lot of, I hope you're seeing all, almost all of this is reflective of Christ, right? I actually ran out of words to kind of say, it all needs to point back to Jesus. Whose spirit came from thee? When people, like, literally at your funeral, in your obituary, what should it read? Right? What, like, whose spirit came from you? It should identify you. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man shall say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. There's an identification with Christ that happens through your spirit. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And it testifies in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 5, For our gospel came, again, same verses before, not only to you, into, uh, not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. It's a, uh, an important component. In faith, a couple left here, in faith how you trust. It should be, your, your faith should be focused Isaiah 26 verse 3 wilt thou or thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee it's very focused in in faith it should be lived out Romans 1:17 for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith it is walked for we walk by faith and not by sight and it is evidenced in, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So that is the how you, how you trust. And in purity, how you live. Clean, according to Psalm 24.4, He hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. R purity actually can be reproducing. In Titus uh, 1 verse 15, under the pure all things are pure, but under them that are defiled, unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Literally, when I invest in purity, everything becomes pure. When I start like thinking purely, even something that could otherwise defile, 
I can think of it in the through the lens of Christ. I can think of it through the lens of righteousness. And it's not like I don't have to, and, and I'm not picking on anybody if you did, but I don't have to like giggle through. I mean, I guess we all giggled through Sam's messages about, you know, sexual stuff. And really, it, that's kind of the nature of how he deals with it. But like we can approach that through a holy, righteous, pure mind. Like we, we don't have to approach it in a dirty, a dirty way. Right. It's actionable. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the father of this and, their, and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. To be pure, right? There is a pure religion and it is actionable. And it's also wise. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Wisdom that you will never get wisdom from God that's from above that's impure. It's like it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a duh. So will your relationship with Christ manifest itself? To the maturing believer, you need to look less like you and more like Jesus, quote, every day. And look, we all take steps backwards. There's times where I put things back on that, I'm, that I shouldn't have. And I look more like Mitch than I do like Christ. I go backward. So we're all going to make mistakes. But overall... Are we moving more to where people, when they look at us, they see Christ? So again, it's not youth plus experience or youth plus time that equals leadership or the example of the believer. It's youth plus the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. And that brings us just to the last, I think I put the verse on your, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Like people know it. And I think, you know, I've heard it said a couple of different ways. I think I've even referenced it in this study. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to find you guilty? There should be. There should be witnesses lined up to say, yep, he's a believer. And I, I hope I don't, I mean, there's part of me that hopes I never have to go through that where literally I'm on trial for my faith. I, I don't. I don't know how I would do, to be honest. I think I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I'm not sure how some of those folks did it, other than just pure grace of God in the moment. But I do know, I do believe, they wouldn't have trouble coming up with enough evidence. This is a big part of it. Like we're recording these messages, right? They're gonna, they're gonna say, "Hey, Mitch went on record with this." Have you gone on record in your life? Are you taking tangible steps? Maybe you need to decide, hey, I need to be discipled. Maybe you need to join actual, to to take a step in joining the church, being baptized. I don't know what your specific next step is. And I know I've mentioned it several times. I'm a big proponent of that because everybody's on a journey and everybody needs to take the next step. Maybe you're not even saved. Maybe that's the step you need to take this morning. I implore you, you will not be the cube. You will not be the, people will not look at you and see those things of Christ without growth. Okay. And growth does not equal age. 
Growth equals the uh, surrender and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, uh, the, I think, the simplicity of 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. You've called us to be examples. You want us to be an example of the believer. No matter our age, no matter our experience, we have the opportunity uh, to live these things out and help us to do that. Help each and every one of us uh, that are in this room, that are watching on Zoom, that are listening to this later, help us figure out what that next step is in our spiritual journey and help us act on it because we can figure it out but not then act. And so we need to do that. Help us to uh, to move, whether that's to stand up and approach me after class is over, whether that's to sign up on something that they've been knowing that they need to sign up on. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to be convicted of those things until we execute on them. We love you and we thank you for, uh, for this class. I thank you for the fellowship of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great uh, Zoom, folks. Great seeing you. Take care. Hope everybody's doing all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Yes. Yeah. Hey, hey, specifically youths, don't put your shoes. I think I even, do I see some shoes right now? Do I even? I, no, that's a Bible. Okay. I thought. <laughs>